Welcome to Integrative Medicine Solutions with Forum Health, the podcast. Our nationwide network of integrative and functional medicine providers believe in a new standard of healthcare, one that creates optimal health by focusing on partnering with you, understanding your needs, learning about your unique health history, and getting to the root cause of your concerns. Using advanced testing, emerging therapies, and the latest technology, Forum Health providers are at the forefront of integrative and functional healthcare for all. Your journey to better health starts here. Today, we're talking about cholesterol. I find that there's a lot of misinformation about cholesterol about, um, and this class is usually pretty eye-opening. Where does cholesterol come from? Your liver makes most of it, but almost every cell in your body can make it. Um, the way that you get vitamin D is the cholesterol that's made in your skin cells soaks up the sunlight and gets converted into vitamin D. Um, so your skin cells make cholesterol too. That's how you get vitamin D. Um, how much cholesterol do you think you can absorb from food? 15%. 15%. <laughs> Did somebody say a number? I missed it. 20%. You were very close. Good job. Most of the cholesterol in our food is what's called esterified. Esterified means that it has a molecule on it that makes it impossible for us to actually absorb it and use it. Only 15% of the cholesterol in our food can be absorbed. And here's the fun part. The body loves cholesterol so much that if you decrease the amount of cholesterol you consume, the liver makes extra to make up for it. So if you cut the cholesterol in your diet, your liver will make extra. If you increase the cholesterol in your diet, your liver will make less because cholesterol is very important. So your body has sort of a homeostatic method um, to make sure that cholesterol levels are always robust. And here's why. What does cholesterol do? So it's 50% of every cell in the body. So if I have cellular damage, cellular inflammation, um, a dead cell, a cell that needs to be replicated, I need to have cholesterol, right? 50% is cholesterol and 50% is amino acid, which makes it pretty darn important. It's also the basis for hormone production. All of your hormones are made on a cholesterol base. That's um, testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, cortisol, DHEA, insulin, all of the hormones. You also use cholesterol to make bile salts. Bile salts are um, released from the gallbladder. What's, and what are they doing? What's the gallbladder do? <laughs> It emulsifies fat so that you can absorb it into the bloodstream. Because remember, oil and water don't mix. So if you want cholesterol to get into the bloodstream and go do wonderful things for you or any kind of fat, then you have to have bile salts. That's the soap that emulsifies it. And bile salts are how we can get vitamins A, D, E, and K out of our food. You can also, you need to replace it with um, ox bile when you, every time you eat, take ox bile and that way you get the benefit. 
Um, and I told you a minute ago that you make your own vitamin D in the skin cells um, through the cholesterol that's in the skin cells, right? So vitamin D production. Who knows what vitamin D does? It regulates your immune system. Yep. Um, vitamin D is not really a vitamin at all. It's a hormone. And its primary job is to regulate the immune system. It also regulates um, calcium moving into the bone or moving out of the bone, depending. So it's very important for bone health. Anybody ever heard of a myelin sheath? Myelin sheaths are the wire coatings for your long nerves. So um, like this coating right here that makes sure that the uh, signal stays on the inside of the wire and doesn't fall out or whatever things do when they're not protected. Um, your long nerves that come from the spinal cord and go to your extremities, they have myelin sheaths. And those myelin sheaths do the same thing. They make sure the signal is always moving forward like it's supposed to be. And they protect the wire. They protect the nerve. Well, they're made out of cholesterol and B12 myelin sheaths, which is why if you have a B12 deficiency or you take a statin, either way, you can end up with neuropathy, peripheral neuropathy in your feet. Or in your hands. Did you know that cholesterol is a part of your immune function? Particularly LDL cholesterol. And some of you would call LDL cholesterol the lousy cholesterol, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> LDL particles can actually eat pathogens. So that's why we don't do your cholesterol check, your physical, your annual, if you come in with the flu. Because if you come in with the flu or a cold or COVID and I check your cholesterol, it will be high because LDL is a part of your functioning immune system. It eats pathogens. So if you have pathogens somewhere in the body, then LDL goes up with intention. And I know you've probably never heard of lipid rafts, um, but we'll talk about lipid rafts more in a little bit. Lipid rafts are these little boats that take things into and out of your cells. So some things go into and out of the cells as if by magic, they just diffuse. Some things have to go through a door and some things ride on a boat. And lipid rafts are the boats that take things into the cells, particularly big things like signals from hormones um, and bigger molecules. So that's made out, made out of cholesterol, it's a lipid raft made out of cholesterol. So if you want to make sure that things get into and out of the cell, then you have to have cholesterol. So it's pretty important, I would say. Does this seem important? All right. There is a condition, um, a genetic condition in which people do not make any cholesterol or they make very little cholesterol. It's called uh, Smith-Limley-Optes syndrome. Not that you need to memorize that, Smith-Limley-Aptes syndrome. Um, so it they don't make enough cholesterol. They make some, but not enough. Um, and it's from conception because it's a genetic disorder. So they're born with birth defects, mental retardation, autism, blindness, violent behavior, recurrent infections, because it's part of your immune system. Um, renal, lung, and liver defects, and there is absolutely zero improvement with a high cholesterol diet. Because what happens with a high cholesterol diet? You only get 
and the liver just makes a little less cholesterol in response, right? So you can't overcome that with diet. So that means that cholesterol must be vitally important for development. Yes, agreed. Children who are deprived of cholesterol, um, either because they're put on a medication that lowers their cholesterol or because they're not fed that 15% that they need, um, have poor brain development, poor eyesight, they have learning disabilities. And just to let you know, that formula contains no cholesterol and breast milk is 50 to 60%, 50 to 60% of its calories come from fat, meaning breast milk is more fat than anything else. And formula has um, no cholesterol whatsoever. They have started adding DHA fat, which is a fish oil fat. Um, and for infants, um, infants should get 200 milligrams of cholesterol for every 500 calories they consume. And adults should be getting 200 milligrams of cholesterol for every 2000 calories they consume. So children need a lot of fat. Well, your brain is 2% of your body mass, but it's 25% of your fat consumption. The brain loves fat, has to have fat. All of your myelin sheaths that protect the nerves that are going to and from um, the brain and out to the periphery all have to have cholesterol, all have to have fat. So fat is very, very important. Fat can't be carried in the bloodstream without a boat, right? So you have these little molecules called lipoproteins. And when you have your blood checked, um, this is a low density lipoprotein. That's what LDL means. And this is a high density lipoprotein. That's what, um, that's what the HD means. So these are just boats that you carry your cholesterol in. So you carry cholesterol in here. You can also carry your triglycerides in here. You also carry antioxidants in here. And you carry fat-soluble vitamins in here. So these guys are important, these lipoproteins. And what you're measuring when you go to the doctor, because this is what it actually says on your lab report, right? LDLC and HDLC. What you're actually measuring is how much cholesterol is being carried in each boat. That's what the test is telling you. And we'll talk about why, why that's important and why that's not so important. But if I artificially lower my lipoproteins, do you see any problem with that? Because it's carrying some important things, right? It's carrying my cholesterol, it's carrying triglycerides, it's carrying antioxidants, and it's carrying fat-soluble vitamins. And let me give you a little clue. If you're actively losing weight, then your lipoprotein count will go up and the triglycerides carried in there will go up because your body has to break open the fat stores, let go of the triglycerides, take it all the way to the liver and let it be turned into sugar. So if you're actively losing weight, that's also not a good time to get your cholesterol checked because it will look artificially high. As your body's breaking open fat storage, you need extra lipoproteins to kind of carry that off for you. 
Um, so there's a lot of caveats to getting cholesterol checked that I bet you never heard before, right? There's two different kinds of lipoproteins. One of them has a protein on it called B, and one of it has a one of them has a protein on it called A. So technically it's APOB and APOA. The reason that these proteins are important is because this protein right here can talk to a blood vessel. And this protein cannot talk to a blood vessel. Why do I care about blood vessels and cholesterol? Blockage, that's right. Because what you mostly hear about cholesterol is that if your cholesterol gets too high, it's gonna build up into your blood vessel and it's gonna give you a blockage, right? That's what we've all been told. There's only one way that a blood vessel um, could build up cholesterol, and that's if the APOB particle, this little receptor up here, comes and talks to the blood vessel and asks to be let in, and the blood vessel says yes. So technically that's two things. What we're gonna talk about tonight is why a blood vessel would say yes because those are things we can all change. We can't change having this APOB protein in our bloodstream. It, it's always been there. It will always be there. What we can change is why a blood vessel would say yes to let, letting cholesterol in, because we don't want cholesterol here. We do want cholesterol in every cell of our body. We do want cholesterol making our hormones. We want it keeping our brain healthy, but we don't necessarily want it inside of our blood vessels. So um, let's talk about this LDL monster. So this APOA here is associated with HDL. So that's your happy cholesterol, right? Some people call it the happy cholesterol. Um, the doctor wants your HDL to be high. The reason we like your HDL to be high is because it has an APOA protein. It can't talk to your blood vessels. What it will do though is pick up LDL cholesterol and take it back take cholesterol back to the liver. So it's, it's helpful in a lot of ways. The HDL molecule is also the one that takes cholesterol to your endocrine organs. So if you want to make testosterone, if you want to make insulin, if you want to make thyroid hormone, then HDL takes the cholesterol to those organs for you. So it's very important. LDL cholesterol is the one that has the APOB protein on it. So the one that can talk to the blood vessels. So that's why it's sometimes sadly referred to as the lousy cholesterol because it can actually talk to the blood vessels. But remember, the blood vessels have to say yes. So the APOB can just tell a blood vessel you will take cholesterol against your will because the blood vessel won't. Blood vessel has to say yes. Um, but that's how LDL got its bad name is because it has this APOB protein that allows it to talk to the blood vessels. You also have um, a protein called a lipoprotein called very low density lipoprotein. It carries mostly triglycerides. And triglycerides, remember, are the fat storage form of sugar. So if you're consuming more sugar than you can burn, it gets stored in the fat cells as triglycerides. So if I am insulin resistant, like we talked about in the last two weeks, when I get my cholesterol checked, typically 
this number is high because I have a lot of triglycerides to be carrying around, right? Um, VLDL also has ApoB protein um, on its surface, so it can also talk to your blood vessels. It doesn't very often. It usually talks to your fat cells, but it could talk to your blood vessels if it wanted to. And then you also have a very interesting molecule called the chylomicron. The chylomicron takes cholesterol um, and dietary fat straight from the gut, straight from the small intestine to the heart. So there, if you remember in the first class, we talked about long chain fatty acids, medium chain fatty acids, short chain fatty acids. There are some fats that your body loves so much that it picks it straight up from the small intestine and takes it to the heart first. And that carrying is done by the chylomicron. The chylomicron picks up your dietary fat and takes it to the heart. Remember the heart prefers fat as an energy source, as does the brain. Um, and that's chylomicron's job. Chylomicron can't talk to any of your blood vessels, just VLDL and LDL. But if ApoB is what can talk to my blood vessels, do you think it's more important to know how much cholesterol there is in this molecule or how many ApoBs I have floating around at any given time? What do you think would be more important? If this is the key that can open the door, does it matter how much cholesterol is behind it or only how many keys there are? How many keys there are? Well, I haven't yet told you how to measure how many keys there are, have I? I've only told you how to see how much cholesterol there is in that protein, how much cholesterol there is in that protein, and how much triglycerides there is in that protein. Can we measure how many keys there are in the bloodstream? We actually can, and it's called LDL particle number. And I have a chart up here for you to look at about LDL particle number. If you've ever had your cholesterol checked with someone like us, you've had your LDL particle number checked because we do that on our advanced lipid profile. The reason that we do it is because this actually tells me how many of these guys I have floating around. And when I look at long-term data, so this is a five-year um, study showing me who's at the highest risk for um, mortality, dying, with regard to their cholesterol numbers. So if you look at the red line, these are the people who have the highest risk of mortality. What they had was a low LDL-C, but a high LDL particle number. So when they got their LDL checked, their doctor said, yep, you're good, it's less than 100 and they died more often with a high LDLP and a low LDLC. The people who died least often were the people who had a high LDLC and a low LDLP. So you mean to tell me that I'm better off if my LDL cholesterol is high and my LDL particle number is low? That is, that is the case you're better off. You have fewer keys. Exactly. Because all this number is telling you is how much cholesterol is in the boat, 
It doesn't tell you how many keys are floating around with those boats that could actually put it into your blood vessel. So the more important number is LDLP. LDLP just stands for how many particles there are, how many LDL particles, low density lipoproteins there are floating around. So the fluffiness changes with the density, um, but also your body can make different levels of low density lipoprotein, right? So it's low density because it's lost some of its mass, but the outside, this part out here can be sticky or it can be slick. Um, so that's also measured on an advanced lipid profile. So just under the LDLP, you have LDL um, small, LDL medium, LDL large, HDL small. Yep. So we can, we can look at that. And when we look at that, it helps us to know your risk for cardiovascular disease and also how insulin resistant you are because insulin resistance ties directly into the stickiness and how many small particles you make versus how many large particles you make. More of an advanced question, not in the class, but a bonus. <laughs> Great question. Great question. So that, that means that what I really want to look at isn't even being measured on most lipid profiles. Um, LDL particle number is really what you want to know. You want to keep this number low, but you actually want to keep this number high. Um, this number... And why? This is a part of your immune system. This is a part of your body's ability to repair itself. LDL is what takes the cholesterol to all the damaged tissue. So your LDL-C typically goes up if you're sick. Um, and that could be chronic infection. That could be a chronic gut infection. That could be a chronic blood infection, like a virus. Um, or it could be an acute infection. It will also go up if you have inflamed tissue. So if there's tissue that needs to be repaired, then your cholesterol is going to go up. That's a good thing. We want that to happen. What we don't want to do is throw a drug at it to suppress it without fixing the underlying trigger, because the underlying trigger is really the problem. This is more like the fire alarm. So are we going to shoot the fire alarm? Or are we going to put out the fire, right? We want to put out the fire. So LDL particle number is a much better fire alarm to watch. And you want to keep your LDL particle number less than about 1100. And you want your LDL to be, I don't know, anywhere between 70 and 150. The reason that LDL-C became so important is because we... Um, we have people who are born with um, a genetic inability to moderate their own cholesterol production. Um, so there are people who are born with familial hyperlipidemia, meaning that their liver makes cholesterol with zero restraint, just makes cholesterol all day, all day, every day. Those people die of cardiovascular disease very early in life. If you're born with both of those genes mutated, you typically die in your early 20s and your total cholesterol runs over a thousand. So it's very, you have many, 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 many keys floating around at any given time. Um, so they created a drug to regulate cholesterol production for those people who were born with that genetic mutation. But the problem is it's about one in a million people if you create a drug, you want to sell it to more than one in a million people. And LDL-C is an easy target for that drug. That drug will lower LDL-C. 
Um, so as we do in the United States, we started publishing research studies that said X drug can lower LDLC. And that must be a good thing because it has this protein on it. Um, so we're going to give it to everybody. And so now we give it to everybody. As a matter of fact, um, many cardiologists wanted it to be put in the water so that we all got statins against our will. Um, the problem is that the research isn't all that good. Um, the long-term research for statins shows that all-cause mortality goes up, not down. Um, and the risk for dementia goes up. Um, and the risk for neuropathy goes up because you're you're undoing a very important part of your body's repair mechanisms. Yep. But that's where it came from. No, Nobody stumbled upon it and then said, okay, let's make a drug for it. No, there was already a drug that needed to be marketed to a bigger audience. And so the science always appears to make sure that happens. All right. All right. There's another problem with measuring um, cholesterol. The other problem with measuring cholesterol is that a lot of the numbers that you get are based on math not direct observation. So somebody came up with this formula and we're not gonna learn the formula. I have it on here, but we don't need to learn it. Um, somebody came up with the formula to guess what certain parts of your cholesterol are because they can't directly measure them. So you remember some cholesterol has an ApoB and some cholesterol has an ApoA. They can tell the difference between the two but that's the best it gets. They can just tell the difference between the two. So they had to make up some formula to come up with all the other numbers of your cholesterol profile. Well, here's the problem. Those numbers only work if you are perfectly insulin sensitive. So how many Americans are insulin sensitive when they go in to get their cholesterol checked? Not very many. As a matter of fact, the people who are at the highest risk of cardiovascular disease are already insulin resistant. So that means that the people with the highest risk go in and get theirs measured and it looks better than it should because the formula doesn't work for people who are insulin resistant, right? So the people who need good numbers the most aren't getting relevant numbers, which is why this is the case because LDLC is one of those things that we're guessing at um, and we're guessing at it assuming that you are insulin sensitive um, and you may or may not be. So LDLP is a directly observed number. There's no calculation required. We can see it. We don't have to guess. And insulin resistant or not, um, we'll know exactly what the number is. But the rest of that um, cholesterol profile, your total cholesterol can be observed. And the difference between ApoB and ApoA can be observed. But the rest is calculated, which is problematic since the calculation requires you to be perfectly healthy. Um, so that's another flaw with the way that we um, measure our cholesterol. All right. Always ahead of myself. Okay. Does anybody need to know where you can get LDL particle number checked? Because there are some places you can do it yourself if you want that information. Okay. So directlabs.com. You can order an LDL particle number or you can order a lipofractionation. 
which is what I was just explaining to her, um, LDL small, LDL medium, LDL large, plus it has your LDL particle number on it. So either one, I think the LDLP is like $10, $12. So not expensive. Um, or the lipofractionation. You can also get it done at Quest if your healthcare provider is willing to um, write it. It's called the Cardio IQ Lipid Profile now. And then LabCorp also has it. It's called the VAP. Don't ask me. No idea. That's what it's called. Um, who else? I think, I don't think Cleveland Clinic's lab is open anymore. Um, they had an excellent, an excellent cardiology lab at Cleveland Clinic, but I don't think it's open anymore. Um, so there are definitely ways that you can get it. If you just, um, next time you go in for your physical, ask your doctor for this particular order, whichever lab you go to, you can get it done. He or she may or may not know how to read it, but you'll have it. And you want your LDLP to be less than 1100. All right, so now let's talk about that other part. The all important, why would my blood vessel say yes to such nonsense question. So there's two things, right? The number of keys and then the blood vessel saying yes. So what would make the blood vessel say yes? Definitely. So the endothelial lining is the lining on the inside of your blood vessels. The lining on the inside of your blood vessels is one cell layer thick, meaning it's microscopic. Um, and then behind, behind that lining, you have, um, you have cells that pick up and move things, right? Move things into the bloodstream, out of the bloodstream. And then outside of that, you have your, the muscle that contracts or dilates the blood vessel. The um, cholesterol builds up behind the endothelial lining. It's not in the vessel itself. It's behind that lining, that one cell layer thick lining. And those are called the endothelial cells. So she said if there was any kind of injury. So what causes injury to blood vessels? So if you have too much sugar in your bloodstream, what's going to happen is a process called glycation. Glycation is where basically things get barbecued. You ever barbecued a sweet barbecue sauce? How it changes when it gets warm? That's glycation. Um, something similar to that happens in the body and glycation is damaging to those endothelial cells. So every time your blood sugar spikes because you had cake or popcorn or whatever you had, um, then there is risk for endothelial damage from that. Um, every time the blood sugar spikes. What else? What about smoking? Smoking causes severe endothelial damage in a variety of ways. Um, tar, all kinds of carcinogens, lot, lots of things. Um, the nicotine really isn't all that much of a problem. It's all the other stuff what, that comes in with the cigarettes. What about trans fats? Do you remember trans fats from the other day? Trans fats cause endothelial damage directly just by being in the bloodstream. 
Remember the PUFAs? Polyunsaturated fatty acids, vegetable oil, corn oil, soybean oil, that, that garbage that also causes endothelial damage. Is it any um, wonder why heart attacks and strokes went up dramatically when we got rid of butter in um, favor of margarine and peanut oil and corn oil and vegetable oil um, dramatically? I don't even know the numbers anymore, but um, like at least by 70%, if not higher. I'll say alcohol abuse, um, but it's kind of related to number one because alcohol abuse, it's related to number one and number two. Alcohol abuse because it spikes your blood sugar, uh, but also because it brings in a lot of carcinogens. So when your liver um, processes alcohol, it releases a substance called acetaldehyde and acetaldehyde is a carcinogen and it's really hard on the endothelial cells. Um, so alcohol abuse, not, not, um, moderate use, but definitely abuse. Um, let's see about free radicals. Anybody know what a free radical is? Well, we're oxygen breathing animals. And as long as you are an oxygen breather, things are going to oxidize. And inside of every cell of our body, in that um, oxidizing process, you release free radicals. And then those free radicals are neutralized by antioxidants. Where do we get antioxidants from? Yeah, food. Like food with colors, right? Yeah, exactly. Blueberries, wine. Anything that's darkly or richly colored has a lot of antioxidants. Um, so just being an oxygen breather increases the risk for oxidants, but we, we get antioxidants in our diet, hopefully. Hopefully, not everybody gets antioxidants in their diet. What about high blood pressure? Do you think that that would have an effect on my endothelial cells? Remember, this is like straw paper one cell layer thick. So if my blood pressure is running really high, there will be damage to that endothelial lining. Um, and by really high, I don't even really mean really high. Like blood pressure now, um, the, the rule for blood pressure is it should be less than 120 on the top and less than 80 on the bottom. So 120 over 80 used to be considered normal. That's now considered prehypertension. Yep. So um, blood pressure should be on the very low side. Let's see. We talked about sugar. All right. So that leaves homocysteine. Homocysteine is another one of those products that's made inside of every cell of your body through normal, um, normal cellular pathways. But homocysteine should be cleaned out every time it's made with B12 and folate. If you're B12 or folate deficient, then homocysteine levels will rise and they will cause damage to the endothelial cells because they're crystals, um, crystals with jagged edges. So you want to make sure that your homocysteine is always less than eight and that, that you keep it less than eight by making sure you have plenty of B12 and folate on board. And homocysteine is one of those things that I routinely measure because um, lots of people walk around with B12 and folate deficiencies and they don't know it. Um, and homocysteine is a big risk factor.
All right. So these are the things that can cause endothelial damage. Now let's talk about what can drive up LDL particle number. If I want to keep it under 1100, I need to know what makes it go above 1100. Well, the first and probably most important in the United States is insulin resistance or metabolic syndrome. It's the same thing, just metabolic syndrome is later down the road. So the reason this drives up LDL particle number is because remember your lipoproteins have to carry your triglycerides. So if you're insulin resistant, your triglycerides will be high because you're storing fat as sugar too often. Um, well, that means that the liver has to make more particles to be able to carry those triglycerides and to store them into fat where they belong. So that makes the, part, the, the number of boats goes up to carry more cargo when you have extra triglycerides. So that's why insulin resistance does that. And that comes directly from sugar and nasty carbohydrate consumption. The second most common is poor thyroid function. So your T3 hormone is what controls cholesterol production in the liver. So if your T3 level is low, your cholesterol production will be too high. Um, primarily your LDL particle number. One in every eight Americans has thyroid issues. It's a very common condition. Um, some people have a perfectly functioning thyroid, but the thyroid doesn't really make T3. It makes T4 and then T4 gets converted into T3 elsewhere. And so your, um, your T4 to T3 conversion might just be off. The most common reason for that is high cortisol. So too much stress. Um, high levels of inflammation will also cause that to happen. But unless thyroid numbers are perfect, cholesterol numbers won't be perfect. So if you're struggling to deal with LDL particle number or whatever it is you're looking at with your cholesterol, you want to make sure thyroid function is right where it should be. For men, um, their thyroid and testosterone need to be in a good place because testosterone is um, responsible for the balance between cholesterol, triglycerides, and sugar. Like it's a part of your metabolism. So you would also want to make sure that a man's testosterone is at least above 600 to keep cholesterol normal. Number three would be infection. Because remember, it's a part of your immune system. So a lot of people walk around with infections they don't know anything about and they don't realize it until they're trying to get their cholesterol down. Um, infections of the gut are pretty common. Uh, you remember when we talked about stress in the first class and how the body digests, you digest under the influence of hydrochloric acid. Hydrochloric acid is what sterilizes your food and it's what breaks down your proteins. But when you're stressed or when your cortisol levels are high, you don't make stomach acid. Um, you move blood away from the gut and you don't make stomach acid the way that you should. So that means all the pathogens on your food can move into the small intestine where they don't belong. And that generates infection. It may be an asymptomatic infection. You don't have to feel sick to be sick, unfortunately. So some of these infections are just asymptomatic and you're just walking around. Root canals are a common place for asymptomatic infections because they take the nerve out. And if there's infection in there, you wouldn't know it. 
Um, so root canals are a common source of asymptomatic infection. Um, so it doesn't have to be COVID or the flu. It, it's usually not. It's usually some burgeoning asymptomatic infection that you're not aware of. Um, another one would be H. pylori, which is an infection in the stomach. Usually happens when stomach acid is low, um, but it lives specifically in the stomach. It can cause ulcers if it's been there for a long time. So that's another one. Uh, if you've had too many antibiotics, then you typically end up with yeast overgrowth in the GI tract, candida. Um, and we love our antibiotics in the United States. So there's usually a lot of that going around. So that could also be an issue. I'll also say that in the post-COVID world, I'm seeing more reactivated viruses than I've ever seen in my career. Um, Epstein-Barr, which is the virus that causes mono, um, it's very similar to chickenpox, as in you get chickenpox and you keep it for life. And as you get older and your immune system gets busy or you get stressed, you develop shingles. Epstein-Barr, most of us get it when we're kids. We don't know we got it. It's just a cold. We move on with life. Some of us, about 5% of us get it in high school. It's called mono, and you know you had it, and you're sick for a month. Um, but then you keep it for life. Post-COVID and post-COVID vaccinations, I've seen a lot of reactivated Epstein-Barr, um, a lot of reactivated cytomegalovirus, which is another similar virus. So um, I would say probably 80% of the long COVID that I take care of is actually reactivated some other kind of virus. It's not, not COVID at all. It's a reactivation of some other virus. Number four is leaky gut. So just like your blood vessels, your GI tract is lined with uh, an epithelial cell sheet that's also only one cell layer thick. So it's microscopic and it's very vulnerable. And just to the inside of those epithelial cells is your immune system. So you have the inside of the intestine, the lining of the intestine, the immune system, and then the muscles that control the intestines. Um, if those epithelial cells get damaged um, and your immune system sees things it shouldn't see, then your body will think that there's an infection and it will respond as if there's an infection. So that will make your cholesterol go up. It usually makes your inflammation levels go up too. Um, and leaky gut doesn't really have any gut-related symptoms. It's systemic symptoms. Joint pain, fatigue, brain fog, cholesterol's up, my thyroid's misbehaving, you know, just symptoms like that. Um, again, in a modern world, this is really common because we do a lot of things that damage the epithelial lining of the, of the GI tract, right? We eat foods that are loaded with glyphosate and other chemicals. So we take too many antibiotics. Um, we have too many environmental exposures of carcinogens and things that damage those cells. We're typically in modern life damaging cells faster than we can repair them, which is why it's so difficult to be healthy now, whereas 40 years ago, it was the norm to be healthy. Um, and it was abnormal to be unhealthy. So um, intestinal permeability or leaky gut will make the body respond as if there is an infection, even if there's not an infection. And so cholesterol levels will go up. Um, genetics, of course. There are some people, as I mentioned, who are born with defective genes and they can't regulate their own cholesterol production. Uh, it's pretty rare. 
So to be born with both of those genes, as I mentioned, is one in a million. To be born with just one of those genes, it's one in 500. So it's not very common. And if the doctor tells you that you have familial hypercholesterolemia, but you didn't have any genetics testing, he's lying. Because that is a genetics test. You can't tell that based on what your cholesterol level is. You have to get the gene test for that. All right, so let's talk about the statins for a second. I'm sure you could guess now knowing how important cholesterol is that this is not gonna be a good discussion. <laughs> okay. So the way that statins work is you have this enzyme in the liver called HMG-CoA. HMG-CoA um, reductase regulates the production of cholesterol, but also regulates the production of antioxidants and CoQ10. So HMG-CoA regulates about a 25-step process. Cholesterol comes somewhere in that 25 steps, but so does CoQ10 and other antioxidants. CoQ10 is an antioxidant. Um, CoQ10 is also used by your mitochondria to make ATP. ATP is the energy that runs the cells. So if you don't have enough CoQ10, then you don't have enough ATP. And that means that your metabolism falls and your detox potential falls and your cells don't run the way that they should. Um, so the way that statins work is they turn off the enzyme so that that entire 25-step process won't happen as often. So there's less cholesterol, but also less antioxidants and less CoQ10. Um, that's a well-known complication of taking a statin. So the most common side effects, these are the most common side effects. Muscle pain. Because remember those muscles gotta have ATP to burn energy and to regulate their cellular pathways. Memory loss. Cognitive impairment, meaning unable to think straight or make good decisions for yourself. Most common side effects. Dementia. Neuropathy. That's damage to the long nerves. Tremors. Confusion and depression. Just the numbers, just the numbers, unfortunately, and the wrong numbers, um, because it doesn't really it does give you some control over LDL particle number, but it mostly lowers LDL-C because it, it doesn't lower lipoprotein production. It only lowers cholesterol production and that by extension lowers lipoprotein production some, um, but it's really just lowering cholesterol production. Um, so you don't have as much control over the lipoprotein um, production.
unfortunately. Less common would be ALS and Parkinson's disease. Anybody seen the statistics on how ALS um, incidence has risen? This used to be an incredibly rare disease. We used to call it Lou Gehrig's disease because he was the first well-known person who had it. And it was so rare that we called it Lou Gehrig's disease for a long time. Now it's not rare at all. Um, it's really rather sad how much ALS we have. And it's not just statins. Statins are not the only cause. There are others, um, especially some of the chemicals that we're exposed to in, um, in our food supply. But definitely statins play a role. So if you um, took a statin for any length of time, you would want to take some CoQ10 for that same length of time. However long you took the statin, you would want to take CoQ10, um, assuming that you came off the statin. <laughs> I can't imagine, unless you had familial hypercholesterolemia, you would definitely need a statin for that. So if we want to lower LDL particle number, the most important thing to do is to correct insulin resistance. So you want to eliminate the garbage carbs, right? And sugar. You want to move. You want to eliminate high fructose corn syrup. Remember how bad that is for you. And then you want to follow the hacks from last week. You could also get some sun. Sun exposure also lowers your LDL particle number. It also raises your vitamin D. It raises your antioxidants and it raises your nitric oxide, which is how you keep your blood vessels nice and wide open so that your blood pressure stays low. The trick to safe sun exposure is to get just enough to turn a light pink without burning. Um, so that's different for everybody in the room. Um, but sun exposure is necessary for life because God did put us on a planet with a sun. And that's the way we work. We have to have some sun exposure. Um, it also decreases the risk for cancer, all types. Um, make sure we address any underlying thyroid issues and then any kind of leaky gut or in, our infection. This is the easiest and the most common um, this is pretty easy too. These usually require some help, leaky gut and chronic infections. That's what we do. High fructose corn syrup um, is 10 times more active at glycation than glucose. So you remember glycation is that process, the barbecuing process where the sugars change and damages the epithelial cells. High fructose corn syrup does that 10 times better than regular glucose. It is awful, awful, awful for the body. Um, I didn't list this on under statin side effects, but one of the um, one of the really common side effects of statins is that it causes insulin resistance. Um, through we won't talk about the process of how it does that, but my um, my stepfather, who's fairly young. I think he's probably only in his mid fifties now. He has exercised his whole life. He still runs the bleachers every day. He's still, he's a pastor, but he does yard work because he likes to be physically active. He plays tennis. He's always been active. He's in great shape. 
he goes, he used to come to me. Um, I, I did his physicals and his blood work and stuff. And he went to see somebody else one time and his cholesterol was high. And so she put him on a statin and I didn't find out about it until probably a few weeks later. And, um, I told him the dangers of taking a statin and he said, well, I'll, I'll just take it until she checks it again. Cause she's going to check it again. And I said, well, let me check it again. Cause I want to check your sugar too. So his fasting blood sugar in three months of statins, his fasting blood sugar went from 65 to 92. Normal is less than 80. Never had a problem with blood sugar before. Never. Um, turns out he had a tooth infection. And that's why his cholesterol was high. He had terrible teeth, grew up in the country. Um, he had a tooth infection. So we got the tooth taken care of and the cholesterol was normal within two weeks. But it took us four months to get his sugar back under control. Um, took him off the statin, right? Went back to exercising and just the diet he had always been on. It took us four months to get his sugar back under control. Um, I've had bypass patients have their bypass surgery and get put on a statin because you get put on a statin when you have bypass and become diabetic in less than a year. So, um, it definitely has consequences and sadly it's not doing really what we need to risk those amount of consequences. Um, cause we need cholesterol necessary for life. No cholesterol, no life. I used to take care of this patient in Mississippi who she was the sweetest lady. Um, and she had a, a very aggressive cardiologist. So she would come to me, uh, confused, forgetful, trouble walking, and her cholesterol would be so low that she couldn't like normal cholesterol is 180 to 220, somewhere in there. And there one time she came to me, it was 75. And I said, you have to get off the statin. Like, I can't fix your brain unless you get off the statin. You have to get off the statin. So I would get her off the statin. And within six months, she'd be a whole lot better. But then it's time to see the cardiologist again. He'd put her back on it. And then she'd come back to me a few months later. And we just played this game over and over. I could not convince her to stay off of it because she was of that generation that if the doctor said you did something, then you did it. And that was just how it was. I've taken so many 90-year-olds off statins. So just to give you an idea, statins are a 10-year benefit drug, meaning taking the pill today is supposed to give you a benefit 10 years from now. Why are you taking it at 90? You've outlived the general life expectancy. It's causing problems. It's making you miserable. Stop taking it. That's right. Well, and the doctors need to check that box to say, yes, I gave the statin. Um, we're just checking boxes in medicine these days. And it's awful. Awful. A 75. She couldn't even remember her name. 75. It was terrible. The good news is we need less drugs, not more. I think that's excellent news. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Forum Health Podcast. Forum Health is the first nationwide network of integrative and functional medicine providers. To learn more about this topic and to find a Forum Health provider near you, visit forumhealth.com.